We believe life can be a journey toward wholeness, toward reconnecting with who we are authentically meant to be. We walk this path of growth and discovery with our children, with our partners, within ourselves. These are the stories of what's possible. These are the conversations that light the way. Welcome to Soul Path Parenting. Hello and welcome to episode 45. Thank you for joining us today for our last episode in our Conscious Parenting series on the parenting myths that Dr. Shafali Sabari so beautifully distinguished in her book, The Awakened Family. So today we're going to be talking about myth number seven. And I have to tell you, this one is probably my very, very personal favorite. I know I've said others are my favorite. This is the myth that I feel like is sort of the macro myth that everything else within conscious parenting kind of relates to in some way. And it's the myth that parents need to be in control. And I want to start this conversation about control in a way that's similar to the to how Shafali started the chapter on this myth. Let's talk about childbirth. So let's go back in time together and just conjure up in your minds your very first childbirth experience, either yourself giving birth to your child or being there as someone else gave birth to your child. And let's reflect on how did that experience go versus the plan that you had, the birth plan? Because I think it's so funny to me that they, they, whoever they are, encourage us to have a birth plan. And and I understand why it's important to think through those things. And I also have literally never met anybody whose birth went according to what was written in their birth plan. So if I am speaking to you and yours did, that is amazing. And I don't know anyone like you. That's so special and so unique. And I have become convinced that childbirth is our very first opportunity to see that we can't control our kids. And so in my experience, I won't go into all of the details, but my birth plan, I was 40 years old. And so I had the benefit of learning from so many other friends and family members who had gone before me. And I, I kind of knew that I was going to have to be open to anything. And so my birth plan was super pragmatic. Here was my birth plan. Try to do it naturally, get an epidural if needed, and definitely get an epidural if she's sunny side up. And sunny side up, if you're not familiar, that just means the baby wants to come out facing up. And my sister, who I'm very close with, her first daughter ha- came out sunny side up. And so I knew from observing that experience, I wasn't there in person. I was on a business trip at the time, but I had heard the stories. Uh, I won't go into details, but just let's say I heard that it was excruciating and I learned secondhand that if that were going to be the case for me, that the epidural was a definite go. And so do you believe that your thoughts create your reality? Do you think that by fearing something or resisting something that 
you actually could end up creating it. I mean, I don't know if that's why Isla decided to be sunny side up, but that's exactly what she did. And so as they assessed me, they realized that the baby was sunny side up. And I realized that that explained why it hurt so bad. And so they hooked me up to an epidural immediately. I'm just kidding. No, like 90 minutes later. And so I get the epidural and they tell me, well, we're going to try to turn the baby. Cool. I'm hooked up to the epidural. This is going to be fine. They reach in and they take her by the shoulders and they turn her 180 degrees. And within minutes, she has turned herself back again. And I have to tell you, she now asks to have this story told relatively frequently. She loves this story. She thinks it is hilarious. So what happened next is, you know, the contractions are progressing. And sometime later, I have no idea how long, right? When you're in labor, it's like time. What is that? And sometime later, they tell me that they suggest trying again to turn the baby because it will make for a much more ease-filled delivery for both of us. And so they reach in and they grab her shoulders and they rotate her 180 degrees and you see where this is going. She turns herself back again. It was as if this baby that hadn't even spent a moment outside in the world yet already had a very clear idea for herself of what she wanted for herself. And I can tell you that is true to this day. She is my great awakener. She knew how she wanted to come into the world and she continues to show me any time that I try to control her that no, no, she is in charge. So she decided she wanted to come out. I, we laugh about the fact that it was probably that she wanted to come out looking up so she could see the world. Uh, it meant four hours of pushing. It meant she ended up with a shiner with a black eye. And then she finally emerged. But she did it her way. So that's my Isla. And she really has been for her five and a half years on the planet such an amazing awakener to me and such a contribution to our family. Because whereas my other three kids, if pushed, will become compliant, Isla, if pushed, will become defiant. And so it's like having this barometer, this mirror for me to see when I'm becoming controlling, when I'm trying to control my kids, she can help me see that so that I can step back and create the space for all four of my kids to be authentic. So I am so grateful to have this just fierce daughter filled with vision of what she wants for herself. And I will tell you another funny story about Isla later in the show about about her showing me my controlling tendencies. But now let's do this. Let's bring in a couple of other voices to the conversation because we're going to be joined today by two really inspiring conscious parenting coaches. And the first one that you're going to hear from is Angelica Bastida of 
Parenting from A to Zen, based in San Diego, California. Here's what she has to say about this myth. So for me, that was my number one thing when I became a mom, and even before that. The the myth pretty much supports the idea that you are able to control people, environment, situations. And even though you can influence them, and you can embody and change your surroundings, you can only do it to some degree. So this myth is so personal for me because I was a very controlling person and it's still a a battle, right? I still find myself going into controlling mode. I can so relate to that. And I think most humans can because as we've talked about previously in this series, control is often our way of dealing with fear, we have this fear and thus we seek to control that which which scares us. And so unwinding this desire to control actually takes enormous awareness. And that is the work that we get to do inside of conscious parenting. Let's bring our second voice into the conversation. This is Kelly O'Loughlin, a conscious parenting coach based in Middletown, Rhode Island, And here's how she relates to this myth. I think control has been one of the big, um, my big learning points. And it really took me such a long time to realize it was an illusion. Um, And that's through very many markers in my life as we all learn, right? So I think as parents, we really want Um, Our intention is that we want the best for our kids. And sometimes that means the best of everything or school or um, behavior or emotions. So control really is one of those things that puts these limits on things, whether it's the emotions or behavior. So really all based on our cultural norms of what is good. I think often control is in a line with what is good. The beautiful thing about life is that if we are holding on to control, it will give us so many opportunities to really see that and let go and create a space of allowing and accepting. Here's how Kelly talks about her awakening. So I think that there were moments that the universe was really trying to point out to me about control and I would get it for a minute and then I would zoom back into something that was more familiar to me. Right. So it probably started my parenting journey when I could not get pregnant and um, you know, I really felt like my body was uh, failing me. So then moving on to infertility, you know, that infertility um, and then going to fertility treatment, uh, they were successful and I had twin girls. So if the infertility and then having twin girls wasn't enough to wake me up, and it wasn't <laughs> because I thought, okay, well, now I, have, now I have twins. So I really need to get my stuff together because I have two babies at the same time and I really need to be able to manage this. So 
Um, I, you know, put some sort of system in place so that I could survive this, you know, feed them at the same time um, and make sure the conditions at least were consistent. So, you know, early on, I would say the level of of, of my illusion of control probably worked because it was probably it was pretty successful as far as twins twin moms go. Um, they ate, slept, and I was able to manage a, a lot of it on my own. But as the universe always does, continues to provide opportunities for you to wake up. So um, I think that as as time kind of progressed in my journey. Um, I went through a divorce and I was single parent for six years. And then I really was like, okay, again, now I really need to get my stuff together. Now I'm a single parent. So every moment when I thought I needed to get my stuff together was really, in hindsight, a moment that if I just sat back and sat in those feelings or just surrendered and allowed would have given such freedom as opposed to thinking like, okay, you need to rise now. You need to rise instead of a way of controlling things. I love this point, surrender and allow. And I think sometimes I'm so addicted to the doing that I forget that surrendering and allowing that actually choosing to do less rather than more is an option. Now, let's go back to Angelica and hear how her need to control showed up in her life. I can tell you a little bit about how I became controlling. <laughs> so it wasn't necessarily um, that I learned it directly from my parents because I was born and raised in Mexico from a conservative uh, parents, both CPAs, middle class, and they weren't even they weren't controlling or authoritarian per se uh what what i was thinking about is instead of being controlling they were they were not able to play with life so they i didn't see them uh be in flow be creative be authentic welcome surprises so even though they weren't rigid and strict and hard on myself I didn't, they didn't embody the opposite, right? So that's something that I, I absorbed from them. That was one thing. And then I am the third of three girls. So I have two older sisters and they challenged my parents in different ways. They were rebellious. They were against mainstream. So they gave some few headaches to, to my parents. I saw them struggle. I saw them in pain. I saw them um, uh, being disrupted by these girls who were saying, no, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to do that. Or I'm going to um, say my voice and speak what I think. So that indirectly sent this idea to me that I needed to not make a lot of waves and be compliant, be a good girl, and just follow the rules. And I needed to be in control of my behaviors and feelings so I wouldn't upset my parents even further. So that became my way of being, trying to control myself and trying to control the environment and my 
my every all, my, all of my surroundings, right? So uh, even when I was little, I remember fantasizing like, oh, what would it be like if I got punished or grounded? Because that wasn't something that my parents uh, did at all. They were pretty flexible. But I remembered fantasizing about being bad or breaking the rules, like losing control. Or I would think, oh, what if I failed a test? What would that look like? What reaction would I get? And they wouldn't react at it. But I was waiting for that. So so that was my way of how I grew up. And then in my mid-20s till my mid-30s, I reinforced the idea that I was in control. So now I not only became so controlled uh, when it came to my feelings, but I was able to keep a job, make money, buy a small apartment. I controlled who I talked to, who I dated. I paid my bills. So I was convinced that I had everything together, that I'm doing it. I'm under control and I can control my life. Like Kelly and me and probably you, Life had a way of challenging Angelica's attachment to control. Here's what happened next. Then my kids happened. So my boys are very, um, they're very strong. They say what they mean, what they feel. They're not shy about it. Uh, When they were younger, in my early years as a mom, I automatically automatically became a controlling mom. So I was reading all these books about parenting, about how to be a good mom, how to get them to sleep through the night. I would control or record how many ounces of breast milk they had. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Yes. So I wanted to know what can I do to be a good mom? Because for me, controlling is um, a way to uh, achieve perfection, right? So I wanted to control my kids from what they ate, how they slept, etc. And then there's a, there's a time when they they're able to talk back to you, and then you realize, okay, this is not working. They're pushing back. What's going on? So that's when everything um, collapsed for for lack of a better word, that's where the shock came. Like, okay, there's no way I can control these little guys. So I came across uh, Dr. Shafali's work. And, and when I saw her explaining how we, we parent through control with attachments for an outcome, that totally resonated with me. And I realized that I'm so tired and I'm trying to do 10, 20 things, trying and failing and trying to control my life with no good results. And in fact, it was creating chaos in my family and disconnection with my kids and my husband. So learning to give up control is, it's an ongoing thing. Mm-hmm. So, so I catched myself like, oh, I want to control if it's going to be hot. I need to make sure that I have the right clothing. Or so little things that I, I become aware through this work that I catch myself controlling. And when I let go, I'm so proud of myself. And then I catch my ego. Oh, no, Angelica, now you've given up. 
what's going on now? You don't care. So I know there's this little voice that's called the ego that wants to convince me to become controlling again, because it's a habit that I've had for so many years. So now I have these voices inside my, my, my head, like, okay, the controlling Angelica has, has come up. I'm aware of it. And then I try to be more in flow. And then my ego's voice, that voice that wants to stay in the same pattern that you've done for years and years and years, will say, no, Angelica, um, you're fine. <laughs> now you're giving up. What's going on? Now you don't care. And like, no, 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 no ego's voice. Let, let me be. Let me relax and let go. I just find that so powerful. Do you hear the voice of your ego as a separate voice? Sometimes I do, and sometimes I forget. And I love the clarity that stepping back as the observer of our thoughts, of our inner voice, of our ego can create. So for me, I find intention to be one of the most powerful forces in my life. And so I wondered, if we're not trying to control what are we trying to do? What can I put my intention into? And through the coaching program, the Conscious Parenting Coaching Program with Shafali, I learned that rather than control, we can connect. We can connect with ourselves. We can connect with the moment and we can connect with our kids. So I asked Angelica if she had examples in her parenting of where connecting rather than controlling came into play. And here's the story she shared. The other day, my son was saying something that was a little triggering. He Not too triggering. He says other things. But he was saying that he would love to live in a mansion with a pool and a lazy river. And I, I immediately wanted to... <laughs> I love the creativity. <laughs> right. But I, I immediately went to like, okay, that's superficial... Uh, I wanted to control his his story. I wanted to uh, redirect the conversation so he would be more like me, like more 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 down to earth, more eco friendly. And I ca caught myself uh, trying to to direct that conversation so he could, he could follow me. And then I said, okay, I'm trying to control his thoughts and his imagination. All right, let go. So I joined him and I said, okay, let's let's imagine how what this mansion would look like. And we went from saying, yes, the Lazy River would be a, a, a great idea. How about a, a room full of snacks and then a, a playroom? And we went on and on and on with no attachments of controlling the, the conversation. I love this example because it shows how we have this impulse to control our children's thoughts, that that idea of judgment what Kelly talked about earlier in the show, that we judge what is good and then we try to bring in control can take over. And yet in that moment, Angelica had that awareness and instead she just created space for her son's imagination. Now, another place that we parents like to bring control is our children's feelings. Sometimes we control their thoughts. Sometimes we control their feelings. And Kelly talked about this. I think when, um, whenever there's a wound that we have not resolved, our kids are going to show it to us. So that was really it for me. So um, 
I have these amazing girls that have been very generous with their spirits as I learn along the way. Um, but I think at times when they would have big emotions, um, it would really trigger me because of my experience having big emotions in um, when I was young and how that was received. So that was received as, again, like, this is too big. We need to make it smaller. We need to control it. This is messy. So if one of my girls was just having an emotion that was really just an emotion, no more, no less, and prior to doing that, prior to making those connections and doing that work, I think I just, it automatically went back to my childhood and, and the bells and whistles went off and said, oh, no, 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 I need to make this smaller. I need to control it. Um, as opposed to just saying, girl, you do your thing and hold space and let them ride the roller coaster of emotion and know that. I'm there for them and I'm not going to judge it. I'm going to connect to them. Um, so they've been very generous with their spirits and allowing me to mess up, mess up, and then to clean it up and clean it up. <laughs> so beautiful. And I want to give one more example, one story from my own life. And this is a place where I was actually trying to control my daughter's actions. So let me start out by saying we actually talk about control in our family. Um, and I, I'll also share that my daughter, who is real clear about she only controls herself, also does try to control the other kids. So it's important that we have this conversation and teach our kids and in our family, what we do is teach them that they can only control themselves that they do control themselves, but that they can only control themselves. And so we coach them on making choices about what they can do rather than trying to demand what their siblings do, things like that. So Isla is very clear about this and she understands how this dynamic works, that she doesn't control others and that she does control herself. And so the other day, she had, I hope it's okay with you guys that I'm going to tell a poop story because I figure this is a parenting podcast. And if y'all have been on the front lines, this is not going to, this is not going to freak you out. Um, so the other day she had what I'll just call runny poop. And so we're in her bathroom and it's, it's clear to me that she is going to need a rinse off. But instead, as she often does, she has her own idea. She wants to use the Cottonelle wipes to wipe it all off. Now, I have the benefit of experience to know that based on what I'm seeing, this is not going to work. And I have this fear coming up. Like I'm just imagining all of this wiping happening and poop particles like flying all over the bathroom, floor, toilet everywhere as she attempts to wipe it off. So here comes this fear. And inside I'm like, no, 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 stop wiping. And I don't say that, but that's basically the energy that I'm bringing to the moment, which is real obvious to her. And so she, that's the energy that I have. And she's insisting she's going to wipe herself clean. Like this is how it's going to go down. So I'm insisting that she 
needs to get into the tub and get showered off. She's insisting on her way. And in the midst of this disagreement, I pick her up underneath her arms like you do with little kids, and I start moving her into the tub. And so she screams, Mommy, why are you trying to control my body? And it was like that moment of, it was like a wake-up call, that moment of awareness that she's right. That was my first thought. She's right. And my second thought was, like, how can you only be five years old and be so tuned in? So she stops me in my tracks. And in that moment, I realized I can't control her. And I also realized I got to slow things down. So I basically call a timeout and I say, okay, let's talk about this. Can you sit back down on the potty? So she sits down and I say, okay, what is your idea? And she starts to express and explain to me how she sees all of this working. And I say, okay. And then I share with her my idea of using water to clean her up. And then I ask her, what concerns do you have about my idea? By the way, you guys know, if you've listened to the podcast before, I love using questions rather than just my, my impulse to be honest with you would be to just dictate and come in with like statements. (laughs) So I have learned as I try to override those sort of impulses that I've had for so long in my life that questions have become my go-to. So asking her, tell me about your idea. What concerns do you have about my idea? And what she says is so helpful because she explains actually that she was concerned that she would be standing in a tub full of poop. And I realize in that moment, that she's five and she's almost always taken baths, hardly ever showers. And so she just doesn't have the experience to know how the water is going to flow down the drain exactly. And so that is such an important understanding because all of a sudden I realize I'm coming from fear. She's coming from fear And in the moment where we were having our stalemate and I was trying to control her body and just like throw her in the tub to prevent there being a mess, we're both coming from fear and neither one of us really understands where the other person is coming from. So we keep in our kind of pause and I suggest, I ask her, would it be okay if we do an experiment so I could show you how the shower will work? And then as soon as she saw And thank goodness, y'all, we have the sprayer wand in addition to the regular shower head. Uh, And she could see how everything was just going right down the drain. And she hopped right into the tub. She was totally fine with it. And that was that. And, you know, as I reflect on this story, and I know it's a really simple moment. and, And I also think parenting is just, it's like the accumulation of a lot of really simple moments. And before conscious parenting, that stalemate probably would have continued. And because I was the parent and I thought I had to control the situation, I would have sought a way to force her to do it my way because of the fear that I had. Rather than now having this awareness of not coming from control, coming from connection, coming from really understanding each other and then making a decision together that now that's basically kind of how I do it with her partly because I'm 
aware, more aware because of what I've learned and partly because she just requires it. She's not going to let someone else control her. And that is all. That is all. So this ability to pause in the moment and really be aware when the control is coming up and shift into a state of awareness and connection is so important. And I asked Angelica what she does in those moments. Here's what she said. Yeah, I definitely need to quiet the mind. So when I'm with my kids and I really want to connect, I need to go into almost a meditative state where I'm trying to quiet down my opinions, my inner voice, my beliefs, and my agenda. So I, I try to have moments um, where I intentionally connect with them, where I am in complete flow and I am in, in Zen. <laughs> so I think it's being aware as, as that I'm, I want to make sure that my mind is not running the show. So it's just uh, delicious to let go of your agenda and just go. Um, this feeling, most people get it if they're riding a bike or like mountain biking or if they're doing yoga or meditating, but you can always do it with your child. It's just a, a wonderful and a peaceful feeling for, for me as a mom to simply let go of my fears and my need of control and just quiet the mind and just join them in wherever state they are. If they're playing, that's okay. If they're in the middle of a tantrum, again, disconnect my mind and just be there for them. So beautiful. And here's how Kelly built on this idea. The myth of being in control is really here to show us that it's the inner work um, and the inner control. And I don't even mean control in a way of keeping everything in a box. It's just as parents, it's our responsibility to keep ourselves aware of our own energy, how we, how we approach our kids. I love how Kelly points us back to inner control. Shafali says in her book, the only control we have as parents involves our own feelings and reactions together with the conditions we set in our home. And to me, it feels like parenting is this playground where we get to really learn about and experiment with our nature, our desire to control and learn to go within and have that inner control rather than trying to control others. Because with our kids, of course, that's a huge trigger. And yet it is not only with our children that we follow these controlling impulses. And if we do transform the way that we show up in our lives, the way that we, we let ourselves relate to this desire to control and really get in control of, of it, it can transform our entire life. And I want to end the show with Angelica's reflections on how learning to give up control has impacted her life. What, what this work and, and learning to give up control has been uh, 
a tremendous, uh, it has been life transforming. Yeah. So I've become, it's been so liberating. That's one thing that I've learned that there's much more in life than trying to manage it or administrate it, control it. It's just exhausting. So just being able to realize that you can't control except for your emotions and your behaviors. It's so liberating that I can, that I can now uh, let go and just be in flow. Yeah. Another thing that I've learned is that I, I'm able to become a little bit more adventurous. Uh, I'm able to play more with life, uh, with my kids, to play more with my kids. And not in a sense that I'm playing with Play-Doh, but really uh, staying attuned to them and follow their lead and trust that they they know. Um, They teach me so much when I let go of control. And understanding that, well, life has its twists and turns and, and, and I'm excited about that now. I am excited about what's yet to come and I'll deal with it when it comes and, 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 and it's all right. And I would say that the last thing that I've learned is that I've, I've gained clarity. So because now I'm aware of my patterns of being controlling and other patterns that I have, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm able to read my children a little better um, I can see their true needs. I can become the mom that they really need. They don't need someone to, they don't need a manager. They don't need a helicopter mom. They don't need a rescuer. They don't need anyone to lay out everything. So it's given me clarity to connect with them. And also uh, I got rid of that uh, obstruction that got in the way between me and them. They are six and eight. And I understand how how my ways of controlling get in the way of true connection with them. And it's it's so it's more simply it's um simply more fun to live this way. It's just to realize and relax. I mean we only live once. So there you have it, friends. This concludes our Conscious Parenting series. I first want to say thank you to all 19 Conscious Parenting coaches who have contributed their own personal stories, their own beautifully authentic voices to this conversation. And I know I speak for all of us when I say it is our greatest hope that you and the people you love can discover conscious parenting because it's really, it's the difference that Angelica talks about that letting go of control has made in her life, that feeling of liberation, that feeling of joy and presence in the moment. That is truly the essence of what conscious parenting can give you and what we are all committed to spreading And so we hope that you have gotten something out of this series. And if you have, our ask of you is simple. Please just share this with someone else in your life who you think might be inspired by this conversation. If you want to learn more about Kelly or Angelica or any of the other coaches featured in this series, you can 
check out our website, soulpathparenting.com, and we have links to each of these amazing coaches so that you can learn more about them and connect with them. Thank you so much for listening, and we wish you well until we talk again. Goodbye for now.